Hey everybody, Steve here. Uh, we're doing something a little bit different today. A couple weeks ago, our agency, ECD Interactive, hosted a panel discussion as part of Philly Tech Week on digital's new role in education, marketing, and outreach. Uh, it featured panelists from Temple University, Petty School, the University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business, and Lehigh University. And it was a really great event uh, that we wanted to share with as many audiences as we could. So. Uh, Today we're releasing a special bonus episode of the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. It's going to sound and feel a little bit different than our normal episodes, uh, but I think you'll really enjoy the insights that our panelists provided. Alright, so let me get out of the way. Let's get this thing started. Uh, where is the play button for the intro music? Ah, here. This is the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast, presented by eCity Interactive. E-City creates websites, marketing campaigns, and magic for higher ed institutions, large and small. Every digital challenge has a solution. E-City's talented team of problem solvers will help you find yours. And now, here's your host, Stephen App. Thanks to everybody for coming. I think we've got a really cool conversation in store tonight. Um, thanks very much to the, the four people next to me. Um, I'm going to let them each introduce themselves uh, as we get started, but I thought I'd just set the table uh, for, for why we're having this conversation in the first place. So, um, yeah, let's, let's talk about why we're here. So, this is not news to anybody who's in this room, but education and education marketing have undergone a pretty dynamic shift in the last decade plus. Uh, you know, fewer students actually nationally are applying to college now, but for the students who are, they're applying to more colleges. You know, if you consider 1990, uh, you know, 9% of college-bound students applied to seven or more schools. That number has jumped up to a little over 30% now. It's a massive shift from 9% to, to more than a third. Those students are also way more in control now than they used to be. We, had a, we have an agency podcast, the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. This is my personal plug to go listen to the Hashtag Higher Ed Podcast. <laughs> and we had a, a VP of enrollment on the show, and I think he summed it up pretty well. He talked about, you know, a gen, you know Mac, when his generation was going to school, you know, the school held all the cards. And if they accepted you, it was like they were doing you a favor. I know personally when I was accepted to school, even I was like, Yes, like I have a future, I'm okay, yes, whatever, full, full tuition, you got it. Um, it. It's just not the case anymore. Students have so much information at their fingertips, they do their research, um, they're just much more empowered. And then whether we're talking about prospective students, current students, alumni, donors, we are competing with so much more competition now for attention. This, is, this idea of content shock says that we can only consume so much content, but the amount of content keeps increasing at a pace that we just can't keep up with. You know, the average US consumer now uh, consumes 60 hours of content a week. When you break it down, it's an obscene amount of content. We can't go much further. Um, you know, the average person gets 88 emails a day. That probably sounds pretty accurate to some of you in the crowd. It's a lot of emails. Uh, it's hard to reach your target audience. So we have a lot to talk about. And, uh, and let's just jump right into it. So uh, before I, I get into the panel structure, I, I want to just give our panelists a, a chance to introduce themselves. Hi. Hello, everyone. I am Emily Spitali. I'm Associate Vice President for Strategic Marketing and Communications at Temple University. Um, in case you don't know much about Temple, it's a pretty large public institution in North Philadelphia. We have um, 
40,000 uh, students total, a little over 30,000 um, undergrads, um, and 17 schools and colleges, just to give you a little bit of perspective. And in contrast to that, my name is Trisha O'Neill, <laughs> and I'm a little bit of the, um, one of these things that's not like the other. I'm actually not in higher ed, but I um, work at the Petty School in Heightstown, New Jersey, which is an independent boarding and day school for grades 9 through 12 in PG. And I do web strategy and communications for the school. Hello, everybody. My name is Eric Greenberg. I work as the Senior Director of Marketing Technology at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, just down the street from here. I've been there for about 10 years, and I have about 20 years of technology experience and sort of started off my career in web and application programming, and I'm now involved in the wonderful world of Salesforce, inbound marketing, and all that good stuff. Over to you, Ira. Ira Rubian, I uh, work as the head of marketing communications up at Lehigh University. It's a private uh, institution up in the Lehigh Valley. A um, little different sales guy, uh, scale than um, Temple or Wharton or Penn. Um, so we have about, about 6,000 students altogether, mostly undergrad, about 4,500 undergrad. Um, not going back too far, but I was in consumer products goods marketing, uh, doing Mashbox toys and Graco baby products uh, for about 12 years, and then made the switch into higher ed a lot because of the reasons of this panel, which was I just thought um, higher ed was quite behind and is quite behind uh, in digital marketing and competing in it in that way. And that's the transition I made because I thought that you could have a lot of big impact besides having passion for, for the industry. So I was at uh, Wharton with Eric uh, for about uh, four years, um, and I've been up at Lehigh for the last four. So we've broken this panel into four sections using this particular uh, marketing methodology. And, and this you know, structure can actually be used in each segment of higher ed. Uh, tonight, for the purposes of, of this conversation, we're actually taking a little bit wider of a, of a view here. And so for the first three phases here that we'll be discussing, it's, it's going to be primarily targeted uh, to prospective student marketing. And then in the light phase at the end here, we'll really get into using current students as brand ambassadors uh, and also alumni relations. So uh, let's jump right in. And I guess to kind of start off with a little bit of a broad view, you mentioned even just you, Emily, and Trisha, that you came from very different backgrounds. So, and everyone comes from a pretty unique background. So I was wondering if, if you could just kind of uh, give a, a brief synopsis of kind of what your school's primary marketing message might be. Okay, uh, so our primary, we are, um, as I said, a high school, 9 through 12 high school. We are, um, our primary message is probably that we are an academically rigorous institution and that we um, sort of take pride in bringing students further than they believe that they can go from the start. So our, you know, we've tracked our kids' SSAT scores coming in um, compared with their, their test scores going out, and in terms of predictability, they are higher on the way out than they were predicted to be. So, um, so that's it. And then the secondary part, which is uh, a little bit trickier to market, is the sense of community that we provide for students, both the day and the boarding students. So um, for Temple, um, I actually told Steve and the folks here that I actually think this is a trick question. Um, because what your message is, which we will talk about, um, is can be very specific depending on who you're talking to, obviously. Um, but for Temple, you know, our, our, our value proposition, our brand is about tenacity. It's about 
finding solutions. It's about um, um, being temple made and, and, and making your way. And um, um, but but what is really important about um, what we're going to talk about, I think, today is how you use that value proposition or how you use your messages um, at different points in your conversation with your audiences. Um, and one of the things that I did, do want to say about messaging, especially um, for prospective students and their, and their parents, and then you know, that extends to um, uh, reputation and, is, and rankings, is um, for us it's be increasingly becoming more about outcomes. Um, so that's a very, very important message for us. So not being as involved in content strategy, I'm going to answer this from my own perspective, uh, which is, you know, we now are in a time when brand is not so much what we tell people it is, but what they're telling each other it is. So from my particular perspective, I'm more interested in the words and phrases and sentiments that people are using to get to our uh, digital assets and doubling down the ones that work and basically eliminating the ones that don't. And yes, there's of course a lot of guiding that can happen in there, but that's when I begin to partner with our, our content strategists. So I'll leave it at that. Um, one thing I would echo is it is a loaded question. And in, in all higher ed institutions almost say the same thing in a, in a way um, when you look at it. Obviously we're trying to educate, but they all obviously have a different flavor to it. Um, there's kind of like five key brand attributes, you know, that we try to reinforce in a lot of our content, whether it's, you know, sort of a practical application, Lehigh students are doers, even something that we posted today about, you know, on decision day, um, which is today, is, um, you know, just about like, sort of like welcome to the Lehigh family, because it is more of a family aspect and scale has something to do with that as well as, you know, other things. And that maybe bleeds into your, your alumni question. Um, so yeah, that's in general our general message to undergrads, but then grads start to be all different between the, you know, the four different colleges that we have. Um, and then it starts to decentralize from there, which it does at, at most uh, places. Um, so. uh, you all have been in higher ed for a number of years now, and the talk of this panel is obviously digital's new role in, in marketing or education marketing. So I'm curious to know, in your, each of your perspectives and the different roles you've had, what the number one biggest shift has been digitally since, you know, and the impact that that's had on, on your careers uh, from the time that you started to, to where we are now? And we can start opposite order if you want. I, feel, okay. I don't want to make Emily go first. Okay. Okay. Um, the biggest shift, I think, is this whole notion of um, self-publishing. Your website, it used to be, you know, the classic thing used to be you get PR for um, your institution and that's how you sort of attract the people and, you know, the, the rankings came out in a book, right? But now you can self-publish and you can drive people and tell them your own message. Um, so I think that's the biggest shift, especially just social media. Um, there are now social media roles, same thing we did, you know, brought to Wharton, we brought to, you know, to Lehigh, is it, that whole ability to self, you know, publish, which was, you know, sort of a big deal. Um, as well as I think the need to compete now, whereas you know you're talking about these things for the longest time, a lot of these places, all these places, didn't really need to necessarily compete to find the students, and then there's just this digital avenue for self-publishing, where or CRM systems or whatever it is that now you really have the t you know the tools to start to compete. Plus, we had to, I think you know as just things got more competitive and play and kids went to applying to more schools and less kids applying to those schools. So. Um, 
So I think that we're still at the very beginning of what this biggest transition is. And the way I think about it is an idea of what Web, web 1.0 was, in my mind, this idea of using technology to amplify analog processes. And in my mind, Web 2.0 is the idea that we can completely transform our the ways of engaging with people through the platforms that we now have available to us. So it's not just about repeating, uh, like email blasts are evolved from direct mail, but how do we now engage in a much more personalized, relevant manner across all of our digital platforms? And that's something that um, being all in higher ed, you probably know is still in very nascent stages. But I really think that this is sort of the beginning of that. And what are the technologies, what are the platforms, people, and processes that are needed to actually address this transformational period. And I think I would just add that the, you know, the consumers are so much savvier. You know, even our 13-year-old consumers are much savvier than they were 10 years ago. And uh, the idea of sort of um, personalizing the content, but also being very cognizant and intentional about the platforms and how the content spreads across those platforms and what's the best way to speak to your audience. And then, additionally, I think just the reduction in the amount of people, the amount that people read, and the increase in visual. I agree with everything that um, everyone has said so far, um, but I really think that for 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 me and for our team um, and where we are, um, one of the biggest differences has been the access to um, to data and the end. Um, and analytics and being able to understand in a way that I don't think we, we, we did before about um, behavior and preferences and, and that has given us the ability to um, use that information, use that data to really be much more nimble um, than we have ever been and we're still, we're still working on that and it gives us the ability to, to, really, to really pivot when we need to. And I think the one thing that I would say and I think I already, you alluded to this, um, and I don't want to shock anybody in this room, but higher ed has a reputation of being kind of a laggard when it comes to, uh, you know, sh again, shocking, I see on your faces, you're shocked by that. Uh, I'm curious if you agree, and, and Ira and Eric, I'm looking at you, you both in particular because I know that you deal with this in terms of trying to, to build the right team. So I'm curious if you agree that higher ed um, is a laggard and then how you're, you're trying to react to that within your own Sure, well, I think the data would prove that higher ed is probably a laggard, but in a lot of these spaces, um, this is a new space for a lot of industries, especially as we get into inbound marketing and what does that look like and being personalized and relevant. Um, personally, and maybe Ira can vouch for this, thing as I, I once worked for Ira, that um, I've always found it better to ask forgiveness than ask permission and uh, work with a small group of people to basically begin prototyping what we want to try to accomplish and uh, essentially a minimum viable product and trying to grow from there rather than trying to get um, the buy-in from a large group of people who probably have no idea what you're talking about. Um, so again, going back to why I got into higher ed is I, I thought there could be a lot of impact from some actually basic, basic marketing principles that can be applied anywhere from knowing your customer as far as research to different marketing tactics and I just thought that you know they could have a lot of influence and, and help frankly you know to kind of drag them in we talked about this a little bit before even how some of the roles have changed I mean they're never five in the last five years there's been a whole bunch of new 
chief marketing officers at institutions reporting directly to the president. Again, because you have to compete. Uh, they really do have to compete now, and or maybe there was less alumni giving, so they get more pressures to really say, oh, I guess we do have to market ourselves, which is usually like a word you're not supposed to use in higher ed because it's so pure, but now competitively you have to have the lights on and, and compete and find students and get them to graduate. So uh, yes, I, mean, I totally agree you know, with the sentiment as far as uh, sort of dragging them into the <laughs> digital divide. And, and then it's just, as Eric was saying, just managing some of the politics of how can you get that done? You know, where can you find those pockets, whether it's directly or indirectly, to prototype or, or drag them you know, sort of into the, the new age? And maybe that's new roles, like a social media manager role, which you know, eight years ago you never had, or um, a CRM role, which you know, I'm trying to advocate for now, which we've never had. Um, and uh, again, that's a lot of like, how do you move an agenda in higher ed, which is I'm sure a whole. <laughs> well, then let's let's talk about this attract phase in, in particular, and, and just trying to amplify your message to reach the audience that you need to reach. I'm curious about what tactics digitally are your most successful uh, right now in terms of kind of breaking through the, the clutter and reaching your target audience. And Emily, at the risk of repetition, I'm going to let you go first. <laughs> I gave you two questions off. Okay. Um, so again, you know, for, for us, it goes back to um, what we know about our audiences. Um, so we have found um, the most success when we can really understand where our prospective students, graduate and undergraduate, are in, in their journey. Um, so we have a couple of, you know, we've done some, we've done some what, what some might call innovative technology things like BuzzFeed and we were one of, the, I think, the first schools to be on Snapchat and we did that overnight and that goes back to that being um, nimble. Um, but it's really not about those things. It's not about the shiny objects. It's really more about understanding where they are in the journey and then meeting them where they are and it's becoming sort of buzz buzzwords and jargony, I guess, at this point for marketing people, but it's really the most important thing. Um, and, you, you know, we, when we can do that, we can see the, need, the needle move. We can see the response. We can see the engagement increase. Um, so, you know, aside from specific tactics, I think it, that's, the, that's the most important piece to, to all of this and to being successful. Yeah, and I would add to that just authenticity is a, a big part of that, um, you know, for our, our prospective families, our parents and students, social media engagement is key and um, they're being able to engage and see the students and alums in our community engaging is, you know, is really helpful. So without a doubt, um, organic search is by far our warden's biggest uh, asset. Um, but in a lot of ways, that's not really fair because Wharton's been around for 130 years and has a very well-known brand and its particular demographic. You look at the top 10 key phrases that, that people find our school with and it's yeah. Wharton this or that. Yeah. Um, but if I move past that, and I would go into the social area, both organic social and paid social, uh, where we definitely can move the needle with paid social. If there's something that we want to move the needle for, we can do that. And that has become uh, even more attractive because the more we know about people, the more targeted our lists can become on paid social. And we can really begin to drive down the costs of conversions at that point. 
and actually, I'm sorry, I'll just end it with saying that paid search um, and display has actually not been that big of a needle mover for us. It definitely still contributes, but it's, it's not as big as we would have thought at one point in time. So um, to piggyback off the SEO stuff, we really just started that as a team, I'd say like a year ago, seriously looking into that as far as a way. We don't do any kind of paid search or really paid advertising per se, so that was, that's been a big sort of learning curve for the whole team. Um, I guess the other thing I would point to is one thing that we've taken a very hard look at in the last couple of years since, again, we have a beautiful campus and we just need to get people usually to visit it, you know, to really what college is like. Um, and so I've spent a lot of time as I've come in looking at that um, and I just think about some of the, the digital additions we've made to that. So, so for example, we get about 35,000 parents and students through our buildings a year and these are very high value customers. I mean, they've come, they visited, and we have something great to show them. So I mean, really focused on that. We weren't really treating it as a sort of, I'd say a, a, a quarter of a million dollar tour uh, of what you're you know, looking at as far as what, what the education that we're selling. Uh, and so some of the things that we've done, again, we've done a, a, a virtual tour that we invested in, uh, again, like off this beautiful campus, and that we had 20,000 people take that tour and spend an average of like 10 minutes on it. We added languages to it. Um, again, we physically want to get them there, but as you want to grow like internationally or anything, um, so anyway, that's been like beyond my wildest dreams as far as just augmenting that, but it, that's an asset that we weren't you know, leveraging, I think, as much. Um, digitally, so that's just an example of looking at the whole visitor experience, but very specifically digitally, you know, what we did, and that, that was kind of to my surprise. It was a little bit of a test case to see how that would do, but the metrics that you can get for that really was like blew us away as far as accessing um, that kind of content. Mm -hmm. uh, Emily, you both mentioned the user research and how. Right, there's a lot of shiny tools, and you need to know where your audience is and, and meet them at that journey. So I'm, I'm curious if you could elaborate a little bit on how you're actually going about that. How are you going about your user research? Is it organic, in-house? Are you using uh, third-party resources? Uh, can you take me through that process a little bit? <laughs> um, yeah, mine, ours is probably a lot simpler than yours. <laughs> uh, but actually, a lot of the work that we did with Lewis and E City uh, in our, our redesign of our website is um, persona driven. So we're trying to do you know content for marketing specific to our individual personas, and it's sort of helped us to rethink the, the way that we're looking at that. So I mean, that's probably pretty simple, but um, but I think it's going to be driving a lot of our strategy from here on. Um, for us, we are looking at um, several different types of research inputs, um, and um, that's an ongoing process. Uh, we start with market research, we start with understanding um, prospective, prospective graduate and undergraduate students. You know, national research tells us that you know, they ask four questions um, from the beginning uh, of their journey. Do you have my major? How much will it cost? Can I pay for it? Um, what is it, where is it located, which I think goes back to what you were saying about location is a huge selling point for students. And for students who want an urban campus, that's really important for us. Yeah. Um, and um, will I fit in? You know, uh, what's it like there? And, um, and the student life, life questions. So we start there, and then we build from there and um, find out as much as we can as they move through the journey. Um, one of the things that we're doing um, from an SEO perspective and um, from, from that digital experience. Um, I'm actually struggling to not say websites anymore, um, but, uh, which is hard when you're talking to uh, a lot of faculty. 
Um, but um, we're building, uh, we're completely overhauling temple.edu and um, creating what we're, what is a new um, digital experience that's, uh, the foundation is in content and content that's born out of research and understanding our users. So that is telling us a lot about our users and we're able to um, uh, throw up some, some prototypes and things like that and, and then test and we do a lot of testing. Um, so it's an ongoing kind of a cycle that we're in um, to understand as much as we can. Um, and it's something that we're growing in our team. So, you know, for those of you who are part of newer teams or have, you know, the benefit of being part of growing a team, um, the connection between IT and marketing and, um, and research and getting at least some kind of functional, you know, formal institutional research functionality on your teams would be um, and would, I would suggest you know one of the first things that you do if you have if you have that ability and when you mentioned BuzzFeed earlier you're published on BuzzFeed and Ira you mentioned uh, this whole idea of self-publishing and I'm curious Ira for you and for you and Eric because Eric mentioned organic search being such a, a driver uh, for Warren if you could talk a little bit about the balance between trying to publish on your own site, your own domain, your own own properties, your own digital experiences, um, versus maybe having to self-publish and maybe publishing on third-party platforms if it's applicable uh, to your universities. Well, I'd say at this point, we're probably pretty uh, resource-strained to get to the third-party part of it. I think we're aware and we kind of look to see what's going on, but very much focus on and we have a pretty robust in, internal team about with the self-publishing. So, you know, for example, we've done some test cases. We uh, put together uh, a millennial slang video. So we had professors read and try to figure out what some of these slang things. And we put that up as sort of like a PR idea. USA Today picked it up, and we had 220,000 people view that video. For us, that's like, you know, cr crazy awareness. Um, but that was just a self-publishing idea that our team had. And we, you know, I'm not saying we have those every day, um, but just a, you know, an example a little bit on the you know, digital side of what you can get out of self-publishing, especially on the, you know, the awareness side of it. So, but I would say uh, as far as the, on the, the third-party stuff and getting involved in it, that's just, I think we're just resource-constrained to get, I'd love to get to that next level, but kind of probably just not there. I'd say Wharton is in a pretty similar spot that way. We're not really, we don't really, really need to do a whole lot of third-party publishing. Um, but what has become the challenge in the sort of self-publishing has been the accumulator, or the, what's the word? Just the growth of, um, of all these web pages everywhere that people can create at the drop of a hat. Um, and sort of the uh, search engine cannibalization that takes place amongst these websites and how to try to somehow I guess herding cats is what, what the actual metaphor is. Um, and trying to figure out the best way to create strategies from a central marketing effort uh, to, to harness that. And to an extent, we have really begun uh, in more earnest a self-publishing area of our web experience, specifically in order to grow our centralized, managed SEO footprint with the hopes that we can begin over time to act sort of as a traffic cop and direct people to where they might be wanting to get to rather than, you know, 17 websites are competing for the, the key phrase Wharton Global and Google doesn't know where to point them. Okay. And I was wondering if we could talk 
just move maybe a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if we can talk about secondary audiences a little bit, because and Trisha, especially for you, you have a, a younger demographic, like you mentioned. Um, you know, students, of course, are going to be this first primary audience. They're the ones uh, we, we can say that they're the ones who are making this ultimate decision, but. There are a lot of secondary audiences that play a role, whether it's a parent, whether it's a guidance counselor. Uh, for international students, whether it's a, a pathway company or, or some, you know, the like. So uh, I was wondering if you could maybe, and we'll open this up to, to everyone, but Trisha, if you could start maybe by just talking about how you market to, uh, you know, these secondary audiences and if it differs from the primary audience and the prospective students themselves. So um, yeah, our our secondary audience is is actually a second primary audience almost because parents and students are pretty much equally involved in the process of selecting their their school when the kids are 13, 14 years old, and it it alternates. And you know the whether it's parent or student driven is pretty much divided down the middle. Um, so uh, with that, it's you know it starts as simply as having parents in the waiting room and then moving that to the digital experience, right? Making sure that our parents are advocate, you know, advocating the, the authentic relationship, you know, making sure that, um, that the parents are out there word of mouth. You know, there's the, that's sort of the, the, the secondary primary audience part of it. And then um, a lot of what we've done in our little world with independent schools is, is form these cons consortiums. So we have the you know, Mid-Atlantic Boarding Schools who will gather together and um, increase awareness of the independent and boarding school experience at large. Is there a certain time when secondary audiences become more involved in this marketing? Are, are you trying to do it right from the get-go? Is it more of a, now the student's trying to make this decision and they've been accepted and now it's about where to go and now you really need to focus on the secondary audiences? Or? For us, for, for the higher ed, it's probably different, but for us, it's pretty much right from the get-go. We're, we're marketing to both audiences, um, and it alternates in individual families, you know, so sometimes the parents are filling out the forms as the students in our, <laughs> in our world, so... I think traditionally it was a pretty easy process. Uh, colleges would buy lists and still do buy plenty of lists when students take their SATs or ACTs, uh, or a student would go to a college fair and fill out an information card, uh, and then the schools would, would act accordingly. But, you know, and Eric, you mentioned in particular how much Google is helping Wharton, so, so maybe I'll let you start, but I'm curious about how you're going about organically capturing leads beyond things like list buys or student info cards, you know, how are you kind of putting your, your websites to, to work in that way? Thanks. So again, to echo what's been said a lot, it really depends on the program that we're working with. Um, if it's one of the larger programs, then we put a lot of effort into both uh, making sure that we have forms and ways of capturing people's information on pretty much every page. Um, we also have begun a much more robust landing page strategy to work in coordination with our social media marketing. And additionally, one of the things that I'm pretty excited that we've done recently is move into the uh, what's called Salesforce Communities, which is a closed social network 
as I was saying to somebody else, imagine if you could just take Facebook's, Facebook's code base, brand it with your school, close it to a certain group of people, and then make it just available to them with all that data feeding back into Salesforce. It, lets, it provides us the opportunity to really begin capturing a lot of data uh, on how people, uh, what people are interested in and in turn be able to reach out to them within this mobile-friendly community or via email to try to get them to move the next step of, of, the, um, of the journey. And we've also spent quite a lot of time uh, investing a lot of time in creating a very granular marketing funnel. So at one point in time, we might have just had a website with an application button on it and whatever happened between the time someone first visited the website and the time they clicked the application button is anybody's guess. It could have been 18 months, who knows what they were doing. Um, now we're able to really market people at the different stages, whether they're a lead, a marketing qualified lead, what we call an admissions qualified lead, all the way down to when they start and hopefully submit an application. And how are you, how are you making that, sorry, not to pick on you at this point, <laughs> how are you making that determination? Is it different types of content or that they're downloading or different calls to action that they're submitting? How are you making that determination? Sure, so um, part of it depends on what are the, what are the parameters that the program is looking for. So right off the bat, if we uh, can capture their name and email somewhere, then they'll just be considered a lead. And our next jump would be to move them into a marketing qualified lead. And so we would look to do a couple of things. Either the admissions directors met them and they just said, yes, these people are fantastic. Or we set up a variety of rules. We're using HubSpot right now, automated rules that says that they have come back for at least three visits and visited these five page, including application requirements. And if they have X amount of years of experience that we're looking for, um, then move them into marketing qualified uh, area and we will begin to email target them that way. And we will also at that point send out an invitation uh, to join this um, Salesforce community that's explicitly meant for uh, largely very qualified leads. And once they're in there, as I said, we can begin to identify what their self-selected interests are and begin to provide the content to get and, and the connections to get them to the next step of, the, of that journey. And I'll let it, if anyone else wants to talk about this, I'll let them. I, I don't, excellent. Okay. Can, can we talk about list buying a little bit? And I know we're we're transitioning a little bit into I guess more of an admissions realm here. Um, but I'm curious about what role marketing is playing. How are your how are you integrating with admissions, uh, if at all, to to make the most of the data you're collecting with those with the list buy with the data you're updating. Um, well, my understanding is, again, with our admissions offices, they definitely transitioned to really not buying any lists. Um, I think most of their uh, spend is actually with Chegg, um, where students, if you're not familiar with it, kind of look at, uh, suggest certain schools. So they're already somewhat interested, and then we get those leads. Um, and I think that's the majority, actually, of their spend and the leads we get besides the organic ones who just come to the Lehigh site because and then we can capture that, and we're definitely farther behind you know, the CRM part of that. We're just you know, st starting with that. So um, anyway, that's my understanding as far as, like, the, as, far as you know, different less, besides maybe some other segments like maybe first-gen or low-income students where uh, you have to work maybe a little bit harder to, to find, you know, to find and, get, and get some of those leads. Um, I, you know, one of the things when you don't have all of those wonderful, wonderful things in place like you do at Wharton, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I did want to say is that, and you may or may not relate, but I, I think, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier, it, it depends on, you know, where, what, what the dynamic is, quite frankly, and where you, you know, we're a central marketing team and we're working with a central admissions team, but there are also admissions folks and marketing folks, and we have 17 schools and colleges. So on the undergraduate side, as well as the graduate side, um, graduate admissions is not centralized. So, you know, the point is there, there can be lots and lots of factors at play, lots and lots of variables that are impacting what you do and how you do it and how successful you are. And, um, you know, for us, it was, we, for as far as, you know, the, the digital experience and, and how we were bringing um, students in, you know, through, through search and through the website, um, the one place that we, it was one place that we, we could start. And, but it's been a process. It's been a process over the last few years working with our enrollment management team and sharing information. And, and sometimes you have to do a lot of that upfront legwork and building relationships or rebuilding relationships before you can even talk about some of these. Um, uh, you know, we, we don't even have centralized CRM. You know, like there could be lots and lots of things that you kind of have to wade through. So um, that's one of the, you know, you, you kind of have to take a step back and look at what you're dealing with and, and tackle the things that you can tackle. And it's a little bit of a systematic process. Um, but it, it, it can be very difficult and challenging, and, and we could, we're probably all in either similar boats or you know, facing very different challenges in our institutions. So that just wanted, that's a really good distinction, especially when we're talking about graduate yeah. versus undergraduate or, or even K through 12. Um, those are just so different situations. So my caveat to my answer before was, we launched a one-year MBA program for the first time like last year. I'm for sure they bought GMAC lists. Yeah. You know, for that, um, and then again, that's not centralized; that's decentralized. And I know they probably did a, actually a whole lot of work to fill that first class, totally differently than we would like on the undergraduate side. So again, situation. Yeah. I think as, as you kind of move through the process here, for for students who maybe have been accepted and now we're into yield season and culminating for for a lot of schools, not every school, but in decision day today. Um, you know, how are your schools handling content personalization? And I don't mean just saying like your first name uh, and an email, but you know, we're not Netflix, we're not Pandora, we're not uh, queuing it up maybe to, to that level, but I'd be curious if you could take me through, you know, if at all, how your schools are uh, approaching giving students the information, the content that they want, if you're using data to do that at all. Um, if you're, I know it's a very decentralized environment for a lot of folks, but uh, any insight you can share on, on how you're trying to, to give students the, the content that they want. There. Okay, well. <laughs> <laughs> All right, really, so forget the highfalutin answer. Really, that's the thing. We're approaching Let's it. Let's go to the next point. <laughs> yeah. We're approaching it with. Optimism, optimism, and all the promise of personalization. Um, we've we've had um, so I can say we're a couple of years into all of these things being developed, and I'd say we're several years away from being able to use them really effectively. And it's one thing that, uh, especially people at an executive level at a university, don't like to hear is the length of time it's going to take to actually do these things because it is an extremely iterative process and we don't have uh, two-week sales cycles. We've got you know, 12 month cycles and so you try to, you get something out there and you're trying it and you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you're basically able to collect a lot of data, try to create some new assumptions around it, try to create the content 
around it, um, and then get it out there and uh, and try it again. So I would say at this point in time, a lot of our forays at Warden into personalization are around just beginning to understand what people look like beyond their names and what are their interests, and maybe we can at least target emails uh, and lead nurturing emails based around their interests, and then why I'm so excited about Salesforce communities is that inside of there they can self-select into groups that we've identified uh, or created but they're doing the work for us at that point in time and if anybody is now posting into groups on entrepreneurship or real estate management or life in Philadelphia they're the ones who are now sort of half driving the ship and we're sort of guiding the collaboration between these students so they're learning to connect to themselves rather than us doing all of the heavy lifting. Maybe the more accurate question is the challenges to doing this. Uh, is it the environment, the fact that it's so decentralized, it's hard to, you said herding cats earlier, Eric, yeah. is, is it at the challenge? Is it pure resources from a staff, financial? Is it all yes. of the above? Yes. You're saying all of the above. Yes. <laughs> is, there, is there a light at the end of the tunnel? Is there a pathway forward, I guess is what I would ask, um, that's been identified? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I think the pathway is that, you know, at the end of the day, this is about, uh, this is a bottom line. Marketing is, you know, we're, we're, we're supporting bottom line goals. Like, you know, these, this is business strategy. So the more you use that research that you have to understand your prospective students and use that same research to tell your leadership um, how, how this is impacting your success or not. I, um, you know, again, our experience is, is very different, but I just think that the data is really important there too, and streamlining systems. I mean, we have, you know, the integration and making sure that, you know, the work that admissions doing is doing is seamlessly coming to us so that we can double down on our efforts and make sure that we're, we're hitting the right audiences with the right material. Um, I'd say in the last several years, especially I'd say even in the last 12 to 18 months, after, after many years of conversations and prototypes and getting these things out there, that in, you know, if you keep on basically, uh, I said to somebody else, you just have to be a stubborn SOB sometimes, just keep on doing this stuff. Um, but there's been a lot of conversations happening because of course they're not, we're not the only place where other people from around the school are hearing this. If they're paying attention, the, the, the drumbeat of data is everywhere. And so what can that affect? And I think it is, it, it is frustrating, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. It might be a little more difficult to get to but um, in our particular environments, but I definitely think so. Uh, I think one thing that helps are either natural or unnatural competitive shocks. So either you don't meet your enrollment goals and everyone starts freaking out, and you say, well, I have a solution. You know, a little, <laughs> a little bit like we keep inve you know, investing and thinking about competing. And then I just find people are of a competitive nature. So even at Lehigh, when we start to really dig in a little bit better, you talk about research, about who are we winning and losing to. Because a lot of times when people see that, um, they get very fired up about, we should be getting those kids. You know, why, you know, why are they choosing you know, school X, you know, X, Y, or Z? So sometimes, the, again, that competitive nature, either because tuition's at risk, or uh, just in general, you realize that you know, we are competing, and these are the schools, and, and, and you know, well, we have the programs that can deliver to the, you know, those types of kids. So, and I, I find that that sometimes gets the energy behind it, and then obviously finding the right person who also can hear, like, like Eric has found, you know, trying to find some of those people 
who can, you know, obviously can get it for, and how do you move your agenda, you know, forward and higher. Can I add an addendum? Of course. Thanks. Um, just wanted to make a, a pitch for the idea of a marketing technology office in your organization. Um, you can read a lot about the tension between marketing and IT and how marketing can never do anything because they can't change the templates and IT doesn't want to fuss around with the templates because they did it once. Um, and so, uh, and that exists in a lot, of, uh, almost everywhere. And when we, um, there's a great website called chiefmartech.com, uh, started by a guy named Scott Brinker uh, around 2008. And he really has begun pushing for this idea of having a dedicated team uh, of marketing technologists working together. So in our team, in our marketing technology office, we have uh, people who are programmers working side by side with people who are content developers, and they are constantly working together to devise yep. new and crazy things to bring together. And creating that, creating that department was not easy. Um, it took a long time, but it has like it's like when you find out that you, there's 25 words for snow, right? Now you can describe all, the, <laughs> all those things that you never thought you could before because now you have a language, you have a team, and it just really smooths things, smooths things out a lot. So good luck, everybody. <laughs>you mentioned authenticity earlier yes. and the importance of authenticity. I think, and this is no offense to any of you up on this panel, but when prospective students or, or current or even alumni uh, see content from the institution, they take that with a grain of salt. Uh, if they see it from a current student, it carries more weight. Uh, so I, I'd be interested if you could each talk about how you're trying to utilize your current students as brand ambassadors, and not to make it too, too long-winded of a question, but then as a result of that, how you're balancing this need or desire to control your messaging, control your brand, stay on brand, with this need for authentic content that comes from the students that doesn't appear to be filtered. And don't all jump at what it is. <laughs> uh, so I'm gonna go back to social media again and um, talk about the, I think Eric mentioned earlier, just the number of, um, of sites specific to our school that are not owned by marketing and communications and that are sometimes started by students or clubs. Or, so I think you know, part of our strategy moving forward is, is trying to, uh, as Eric said, control that messaging a little bit, but, but only a little bit, right? Because you want them to be able to be speaking in their own voices and talking from a place that's meaningful to them. I mean, we, you know, we are fortunate with our age group and the type of school that we are that we always, you know, our sort of thing in our office is that we can't script our kids better than they can sell the school on their own. So, uh, so there is always that balance of trying to like, sort of unleash them and, um, and also have some control over the messaging. And, um, I, you know, it's just a constant balancing act. It's, it's having your, your, your hand on it, but not, um, not your fist. <laughs> So I'll give two examples. We're redoing our admission site right now and, and actually videotaping some students in their own words. Because that's what the students want to come see. You know, will I fit? What are the kids mm -hmm. like? Um, so obviously we do that now. But of course we have the grand old view book, which to your question before, the parents sort of want to see. And I've gotten that. I've had my own home research with three kids kind of approaching the college. And I see you know, what comes in, in, in and who reads what and how much gets thrown out. So, um, so that's one example, and then I think another 
just amazing authenticity example we've had is we have a fairly new president. Um, we got him involved in Instagram. He does it all himself. He's amazing at it. Um, you know, he has about 3,000 followers. And it was just like the most amazing thing for, I think, probably students, either current or looking at us as well as alumni, to see what the president's doing. And it just, you know, it just exudes out the guy's pores. Um, and that's just like been an amazing uh, sort of win as far as like an idea of how to get people to tell what's going on at Lehigh in their own words besides even a contrived marketing video with students. I will, before I hand this over to you, I just want to add one more thing. Go Is that ahead. okay? okay. <laughs> um, I also uh, just, you know, alumni for us have been a great way to give an, lend an authentic voice to things, particularly surrounding specific school traditions um, on social. That's, a, you know, that's been a, a huge way to engage perspectives with um, alumni just sort of showing their loyalty and going back to their memories and all that kind of stuff. That's been a big. Um, we have a, a few examples um, over the last couple of years of user generated content. Um, right now, if you go on our homepage, there's um, a social media feed of the students who have been accepted and holding up their Next Stop Temple um, posters. Um, but one of the really interesting ones that we launched not too long ago was we have a student blogger. Um, we have a multimedia team, a couple of videographers on our staff, and we are working with one of our students right now who is blogging. And why that is really interesting is um, it, it, it's one of those examples of really uh, hitting the prospective students where they are in the journey. So, um, you know, there's lots of talk about video and how successful video is. And, you know, we're, we're using video for 15-year-olds now, the, the, the prospective students getting younger and younger. Um, but then there's a lot of debate about how long the video should be, and it really does, it really does matter where they are in the journey, because what we're finding is, um, for instance, with our student vlogger, because it's authentic, he's a student, he's just like them, um, his, his vlogs are five to six minutes long, and it's one of our most engaged um, videos on YouTube. So um, that's an example of when you, are, when you are talking to your audience, where they are and where they want to be, they're going to engage. Okay. Um, so essentially, I, I know I keep uh, talking about Salesforce communities. And I'm super excited <laughs> about it. I'm not receiving yeah, a commission. Um, but it's, I suppose you could do the same thing with Facebook groups, but the marketing and communications office has never been sort of overseeing any Facebook groups at the admissions level. Um, but we are with Salesforce communities. And what it has allowed us to do inside of these communities is to uh, bring on community ambassadors of um, so the community is meant for high-quality prospective students, but the community ambassadors are either current students or alumni. And these prospective students just absolutely love uh, hearing from the current students and the alumni. And you know, yes, the admissions officers are on there too, but of course, the real, you know, the real deal is coming from the ambassadors, and that's been very successful. And have either of you, you know, I imagine there's a lot of research involved, and, and I'm thinking about your vlogger in particular. Are you, do, you know, are you digging into to other posts? Are you, uh, like, what's the process like in terms of user-generated content and amplifying it from your own brand? Because I imagine prospective students or alumni, you know, they will click on that user's profile, um, and I imagine there's some research involved to make sure that what they find is not then going to uh, come back against the brand that you've built. So. Uh, could you talk me through a little bit about the process uh, in terms of what the student is posting, if you're doing any research to find out what they are posting, and 
you know, if you're making a determination, yes, this person is a brand ambassador versus no, they're not. <laughs> so in our community, they were specifically chosen uh, at the outset um, and for that particular community. But in, we just recently launched a new community that's sort of the very beginnings of what could be a, what will be a current student community. And one of the one of the uh, nice aspects of this community's tool is there's a whole metrics back end, a whole community manager where you can see what posts are being engaged with. There's whole uh, leaderboards of people who have knowledge in certain topics, and you can really see how that's happening. Uh, from a back-end standpoint, and which students are answering all of these questions and which are not, and you can begin to cultivate them more. There's also, kinds of, there's also all kinds of language filters, should you choose to. In our case, most of these people are already professionals out in the working world, and they recognize that this is not junior high. Um, so they're, they're, they're going to be um, acting accordingly, but that's, that's how we've been going about doing it. Just some of your students are in junior high, so. Yeah. <laughs> True. Uh, <There> <laughs> uh, they are. We, uh, our student population tends to be, um, generally speaking, pretty enthusiastic about their experience. They're, um, you know, they've done a lot and, and worked a lot, and their parents are paying a lot for them to enjoy it. So they're, um, they're appreciative, and they can, you know, again, they, we rely on them all the time. In terms of control, we, we don't relinquish as much control probably as, as my colleagues here do because of the fact that they're younger. And so a lot of, I mean, I would say like a, the, um, we, we have a smaller population in general. We are engaging on social media. So we're taught, we're trying to get a conversation going all of the time. And, um, but uh, we have more sort of controlled contributions from our students. So for example, we do, um, the, student, the community meets in chapel twice a week and students will give chapel talks that are sort of inspirational or reflective and that kind of content will, will repurpose quite a bit and then um, you know in terms of video you know when we have them video or when they submit video we'll uh, piece it apart, we'll try to use it in lots of different ways but um, generally speaking we don't relinquish control to them very much. In the limited time we have left um, I want to try to tackle alumni marketing a little bit here uh, and I'm curious how that's differing for your department so uh, it's a very not the stereotype but it can be a less tech savvy audience they have different needs um, I think the ROI of that communication is a little bit more challenging in some respects to to measure there's no there are donations but there's no you know easy uh, enrollment or tuition check coming in uh, so I was wondering if you could each maybe just in a brief moment, talk to me about uh, how you're approaching your alumni marketing and, and what the challenges are for you uh, in that. And some of that might, I imagine, be decentralization in those departments, but uh, I, don't, I don't want to speak for you. So we actually, the one, so the one crossover with our central marketing group is we published the alumni magazine, which is you know, the, the gold standard, I guess. Of, you know, three times a year, and why that's actually important, I think, to have in central communications is that is a very important piece, and also the antithesis of almost digital, which is you know everyone tried to make it digital, and then all the alumni scream and then you bring it back. <laughs> so um, we invest a lot in that content because I want that content for everything else. As so it's just a nice cycle of having it in in, in our group because I, I do think it's a very actually important physical you know touch point still, um, you know for for going out. So I think it is. Um, that's usually the biggest crossover with alumni content. 
Um, but then, you know, digitally you're trying to create a whole new wave of people who are interested obviously more in video and feeling that they're connected back. So we have done, you know, several videos which really do help alumni feel, you know, remember them back to their, hopefully their wonderful experience in the, in the place and time. I'm just going to tag on to that. One of our, we did uh, similar, our office is responsible for our alumni magazine and again that content I'll repeat what you said. It's just so valuable to us across all other platforms as well. But we also did a video series that is something that we can sort of perpetually do for as long as it's <coughs> valuable called the Petty Stories Project. And we've utilized our alumni, like our reunion weekends, to just take, pull alumni in for a really brief interview session where the room is set up and they speak to us for a couple of minutes. And um, it's against a black backdrop, so it's very simple. and. Uh, and we can span the generations of alums. Um, and then that content, you know, again, we can piece it apart, we can utilize it in lots of different ways, so it's been pretty successful. So just really quickly, because this is another area where it can be very challenging, very different um, in institutions. I, before I was at Temple, I was at Villanova, and I was in charge of advancement communications. At Temple, it's a very different dynamic, a very different um, uh, relationship. Um, so the one thing that I will say as a, as a university marketing team or if you're in a centralized marketing area, um, brand alignment is the most important thing that you can do. So whatever audience it is, if it's admissions, prospective students, enrollment, um, alumni and donor, um, athletics, uh, if you can align the brand in those major areas, um, that's, that should be your primary focus and your primary goal out of the gate. And, and once you can kind of move into those areas and, and align the brand across your enterprise, across your university, that should help kind of open some of the doors and some of the areas. And, and, and it, as you're doing that, obviously, you're, you're learning more as much as you can about those audiences. And um, that'll kind of set you down the right path. Well, if everyone could just give, uh, join me in giving our panel a quick hand here. Thank you very much.